Hello and welcome to the second The Level Playing Field podcast. My name is Liam Bird. I am the fan liaison officer at Level Playing Field, the campaigning and advisory sporting charity that advocates for better access and inclusion for all disabled loving sports fans to attend live sport. In this month's episode of the podcast, we turn our attention to the return of fans to Stadia because on November the 23rd, the UK government announced the return for fans in England. Uh, clubs in other devolved nations of the UK have chosen not to go down that path. So clubs could invite fans to return depending on the regional tiers they were from. So clubs who are in tier one locations will be able to welcome up to a maximum of 4,000 fans or 50% of stadium capacity, whatever was lower. In Tier 2 locations, clubs could invite up to 2,000 supporters or 50% of their capacity and sporting clubs in regions in Tier 3 would have to remain closed to the public. So in this episode, we wanted to speak to people who have A, gone to these games, uh, B, work at clubs that are hosting these games and also talk to the organisations who have been helping put down the guidelines for us to return to Stadia safely. And one of those people is Rick Riding. He is an inspector at the sport. Sports Ground Safety Authority, or SGSA. Rick will explain what the SGSA is in a moment. But Rick has been working with clubs in England and Wales and Scotland, I believe, to implement guidance so clubs could welcome back fans to stadiums in England. Something that I actually got to witness and do in December. I attended my first live football match in nine months when I went to go and watch Norwich City. Norwich invited me to come and witness firsthand the safety protocols that they have put in place for their disabled supporters, while also inviting me to speak to Greg Pillinger. He's the head of operations and projects at the club as well as two disabled supporters called Judy and Glenn. All these interviews that took place at Norwich were conducted following the government guidelines. My trip to Norwich wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for the work of the SGSA so I was pleased when Rick accepted my invitation to speak. Rick how are you? How, how have you been? It must have been a busy time for you. Yeah uh, very busy. Uh, people are starting to get back uh, into supporting their local teams again and it's uh, it's really interesting and uh, and a good time and uh, and I suppose with the the news today with the vaccination uh, the first vaccination in the UK uh, excellent times how do you like the fact that the, the second person is called William Shakespeare I think that was a plant. It's got to be a plant. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll leave you to answer that one. <laughs> <laughs> we are a footballing podcast. Let's talk a little bit of football. You're a Preston North End fan. How how has your season been going so far? Well, unfortunately, I don't get a chance to see a lot of Preston because uh, we have to inspect all the stadiums uh, in the UK. So I have about uh, 13 or 14 clubs I deal with and I deal with cricket grounds and so I really don't get to see him a lot to be honest with you unfortunately but uh, not playing well at the moment uh, certainly uh, losing quite more often than not well welcome to the, the Nottingham Forest Club as I call it uh, <laughs> so let's, let's talk about um, fans going back um, but I think what's really important is that if you can give a swift explanation of what the SGSA is I suppose the SGSA is an arm's length government body we're probably best known for uh, drafting the uh, the guide to safety at sports grounds we know it as the green guide and this is a guide used uh, internationally and nationally to set standards for uh, spectator safety and we also provide uh, guidance to governments on uh, on various aspects of safety. And we've also written a, a document called the Accessible Stadia, which provides uh, the details and provisions 
uh, required for uh, for disabled spe- spectators. So how did the SGSA go about creating this guidance that's been used by sporting clubs up and down the country? Well, uh, as authors of the uh, of the Green Guide, as I've just mentioned, going back uh, back to March when uh, when the the lockdown came about and uh, and all of a sudden elite sport was no longer became available. Uh, but I suppose back then we were thinking that it was only be a couple of months before uh, sport was back in back in play. However, uh, even at that time, the government started to set up with UK sports uh, a group of experts that come together, the SGSA being one of them, and government scientists and uh, and medics, uh, and along with other sports as well. You know, the uh, the Premier League and the the, uh, the the tennis association cricket and various people like that come together to to look at how we can start thinking about getting sport back played again uh, first of all uh, certainly be at that time it was looking at behind closed doors how the uh, the half athletes could be put into a, a social bubble and kept safe and make sure that uh, that some of the leagues can could, could continue uh, and then look at uh, various stages of how to get spectators back in so there was there was set out uh, various stages uh, to uh, to in, uh, and baby steps, let's say, to ensure that uh, the safety of uh, of not just the participants of elite sport but uh, spectators were able to come back into the venues. I mean, this is a pandemic that we we've never had, like obviously since the Spanish flu. I would say. How have you found it, starting from nothing really, and then trying to create this guide? that is um, everyone's going to rally behind and see as kind of like the Bible of returning? Well, I think uh, if there is anything good that's come out of this pandemic, uh, and there's been very few little things that have come out of it good, is the collaboration between all sports uh, and the collaboration between, you know, the, uh, the experts within the sporting environment to set those standards. Uh, although we were commissioned to draft the the guidance document, which is we it's called SGO2, we, you know we're very reliant on on all the experts and and all the other sports because you know there's a different demographic for people watching cricket, horse racing, you know snooker, you know I can even in, include some of the indoor sports. Uh, so to set those the, those procedures, policies, protocols, you know it it has been a real collaboration to make sure that. Uh, Everybody's engaged, and also we've collaborated with all the spectator groups. So you know we've uh, collaborated with Level Playing Field to ensure that. Uh, but everybody comes back into to watch elite sport. It's all inclusive. So you kind of touched on uh, working with spectators as well. I mean, what what tips would you give for disabled fans uh, and uh, non-disabled supporters who's listening to, and how they can support their club during this period of time? Well, the biggest tip I can give them is to uh, is to communicate with the club. Express to the clubs your specific needs because everybody everybody's needs will vary uh, and ensure that they have the policies and procedures in to, to meet your expectations. There is a, there's going to be a, a nervousness for everybody that's going to return because, you know, this has been a, a dire experience for, for many people. Uh, and so there will be a real resonance for uh, for people to come back into a sporting environment. And, you know, these could be uh, large numbers of people coming back and you want to be reassured that you can socially distance. So I, I suppose my uh, advice would be, you know, contact your club, make sure that they understand your needs and then at least they will relay what their expectations are of you. 
you know, they will come up with a, a code of conduct to uh, to ensure that, uh, that 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 you are satisfied that. Uh, you can go to that venue and feel safe. We're about a week into, as we record this, about a week into since fans have returned. What's the feedback been for you uh, about fans going back? It's been excellent up to now. I suppose uh, there is, uh, at the moment, the the, uh, the fans that uh, are coming back are really in limited numbers. So it has only been the, uh, the season ticket holders. Uh, and so... It's not a real true demographic of, of all the uh, all the spectator experience. However, everybody has been really part of the uh, or, or took on board all the uh, the requirements that that it needed to be. And I suppose you know that fan experience is really important. And we've done a, quite a bit of work with uh, with ensuring that 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 fan experience has been addressed in all the documentation that we uh, we put out there. Because uh, if you go on on the SGSA website, there is uh, there's some documentation. We work with the University of Edinburgh uh, to look at what the experience is at football, cricket, uh, uh, horse racing, rugby, snooker, uh, just to see when the pilot events came up, uh, what their experience is, what their aspirations are. Uh, and how they feel about coming back. I mean, we have a tier system at the moment, tier two, 2,000 fans, tier one, 3,000 fans. Are there any plans in the future that you know of whereabouts this might increase? And what what do we need to do to get to that? Yeah, uh, the government has set up uh, something called a Science and Technology Innovation Group, a STIG group. Now, this is made up of uh, experts in various fields, uh, you know, your medical and your, your... scientific experts but but they are pulling together a series of pilots so although you might be uh, I don't know in tier 2 and allow 2,000 people back into a ground they are looking at uh, certain pilots where that uh, that 2,000 could be increased using the technology that that becomes available and that might be testing uh, technology, various uh, ticketing technologies that, uh, that start to increase that those numbers, so it's only when you be, when the government gets confidence that the technology and the testing uh, and the and the safety measures implemented by clubs are in place, then then the government will then start increasing those numbers. Uh, but it's not just the government's confidence; it's about the confidence of the local authority in approving the numbers. Uh, through a, sa- a safety certificate and also it's the confidence of the spectators themselves so it's okay increasing the numbers but if uh, if you're a spectator and you're you, you're worried about going back then uh, the ticket sales won't won't be increasing those numbers because people are uh, are scared to come back I, I need to correct myself there i said tier one three thousand fans it is four thousand fans my apologies some of the feed that we've we've received back is that some disabled people are exempt from wearing face masks because of their disability we've heard some fans who might be concerned that when they do go and and they they, they don't have to wear a face mask they might receive abuse or forced to wear masks if they attend a match whereas other disabled supporters might be concerned about going back uh because people aren't wearing masks so there's a bit of a, um, a worry in general around masks it seems to be the, the main subject matter what can you say to reassure each kind of group of disabled supporters who might have these concerns yeah these uh, it, it is a major concern uh, to be honest with you and uh, 
and uh, clubs are putting in policies in place to ensure that uh, if you can't wear a mask for whatever reason, they are providing uh, not just a policy in place to uh, to ensure that that's okay, but it's it's about two-way communication. As I said before, the best thing you can do is communicate with your club, see what policies, what codes of conduct they have in place, and if you can't comply with those codes of conduct, such as mass, then you know let let the club explain to them what policies they've got in to make reasonable adjustments so as you can still attend that match. Are you concerned yourself about supporters staying away? Do you think this could be a lasting impact that we see in football? I am actually. I, I do. I do think there's an old saying that it takes uh, six weeks to, uh, to to gather an habit, uh, and we've been away from football. Supporters have been away from football now for much longer than six weeks. It's looking like nine months now for some supporters to be away from football. And so, yes, they will have formed a different habit. They might have formed a different way of watching their favourite teams. Uh, so there is going to be, you know, an all new world out there. You know, different. Some you, we might get new spectators, but but then again, you know, I would think there there, there will be a reduction in, uh, in in a return until I keep saying this. The confidence comes back. You know, this is a big thing. The confidence for spectators. You know, if we can make spectators feel comfortable that all the, they are safe within that environment, then they will come back. But uh, but I think it's going to be a gradual. Uh, return to myself so okay let's kind of talk about that then let's get your crystal ball out then what do you think fans could see over the next few months uh <laughs> you would need a crystal ball uh, <laughs> what i would say is expect the unexpected because all along this uh during this uh this covid conditions you know I, i've been amazed at uh, the turns and the twists that, that have occurred so you really should expect the unexpected who knows what the government will do next what I can say is that there's a lot of work going on to uh, to ensure the uh, the safe return of spectators so you know the uh, the EFL and the Premier League have put a lot done a lot of work in ensuring that the clubs have consistent protocols procedures and it is a, a biosecure environment for to give that confidence for when spectators return so over the next few months, what, what I might see, what you might see, uh, who knows, is that uh, as more people get a vaccination, there might be specific stands or areas that uh, a stand might uh, have to be a stand where some people are vaccinated uh, and another stand where people have to socially distance. So there might be a split like that. So uh, who knows where we're going to be, but uh, but certainly... You know, we are on the uh, the rise of spectator numbers, hopefully looking towards mass vaccination. OK, let's end it with this then. Um, we're in a world where fans are returning. What's the first ground that you want to go to, seeing that you visited pretty much every ground in the UK? I mean, which ground are you most looking forward to returning to? Well, obviously it will be Deepdale, Preston North End. However, my favourite ground is that I've worked, I worked in one in Perth, Australia. Um, Perth, Australia is always sunny. Uh, and it's a 60,000 multi-venue stadium uh, and I worked on it a couple of years ago for a few years uh, and probably one of the best stadiums I've ever been to oh, well, I will say that is the incorrect answer the right answer was the city ground but <laughs> <laughs> Rick thank you so much for talking to me mate um, just so people know uh, we will put up um, all the information that Rick has spoken about up on the podcast description uh, so you can find that um, Rick anything else before we leave no I think I think that covers uh, most things uh, and uh, thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity to chat to you 
but uh, I just hope that everybody has a, a safe and uh, and long a long time back in uh, watching elite sports again. Thank you so much to Rick there. In England, fans have been returning to stadia in Tier 2 regions. I've been fortunate enough to have been invited by Norwich City to go to their home game against Nottingham Forest on December the 9th to speak to some lifelong Norwich City supporters. One of them was Glenn, and I spoke to him about the feeling of returning to live sport. But before that, I also spoke to Greg Pillinger, who is the head of operations and projects at Norwich City, about the work that the club have been doing to make sure it is safe for fans like Glenn to return to Carrow Road. But before that, I spoke to Judy, a Norwich City supporter who was attending her first game since February the 28th, 2020's victory over Leicester City. So how are you feeling about the match this evening? Oh, really looking forward to it. Being away from football for so long, any time I can get back in the ground, that's all I want to do. How, how has this period of isolation away from the game been for you? It's been tough. Um, on a personal level, because my husband has been pretty ill over the last year, certainly going to football on Saturdays when he, you know, he was, he was able to be left. He was ill, but I could leave him. And that was my bit of normality because I could get away from everything. 90 minutes of not thinking, um, he's got this blood test coming up next week. He's got this, that and the other. And that was great. You know, you could be away. And then all of a sudden that's cut out and you're at home the whole time, which gives you far too much time to think. I've been watching Norwich City for 60 years, um, home and away for the last 55. And I think virtually, <laughs> virtually all my friends are in some way related to Norwich City Football Club. I met my husband through watching Norwich City Football Club. Um, I help run the coaches. There's a community who we all travel together. So I've missed all those people. Um, it's not only just that, it's the, um, the people you see in the ground. You don't necessarily know the names, but you acknowledge them every other, fo- you know, every other week. And, um, you know... You see them, you see, you see some of the children grow up. Basically, you're in the same place in the ground. You see the kids grow up, you know, into the grandchildren, you know. <laughs> so you, you spoke about your husband then. It, w- w- coming to the game this evening then, w- it have, has there been that conversation of, I'm go- like, you, you, you're going to a game where there's a lot of people and obviously this, this virus is something that spreads. Is that something that's played a part in your conscious decision about coming? Um I've all the comments I've heard from everybody is how safe they felt in the ground. Um, to be honest, I've I've been out. I do I do other volunteer jobs, and from what I've seen, I think it's safe or safer than other places I've been. Certainly, I would say safer than being in Tesco's or Morrison's, and um, I think Norwich. Certainly, all I've heard about everything they've done, I've read all the comments from people. Nobody's been negative about how they've found the experience in the ground. The only negative comments has been from people looking at photos, and they haven't been the ones at the ground. It's been the negative. All the all the people who've attended games have been positive about the experience. So, how much information has the club given you to put your mind at ease? Um, I think they've been very good. Um, the club did have uh, consultations with fans 
um, it was a Zoom, they did a Zoom meeting with quite a cross-section of supporters and explained everything. And then the, the information has been disseminated outwards. I think they've been very clear about what's happening and um, no, I think they've done a really good job. And how is your Zoom game now? It must be... A- I greatly improved <laughs> oh yes I know I know well so long as I just have to click a, a, a link I'm fine with zoom <laughs> yeah me it's mute I, I will talk and I'm muted and then it's just like uh, you can just see the disappointment on my face when I realize I'm muted what advice would you have for any disabled supporters who may be on the fence about returning and are a little bit worried but really are missing the game and just trying to weigh it up I I think that uh, I mean it, it depends on each individual person. I mean, obviously, there are people who feel they don't want to go out and that they they can't f- face going anywhere yet. But I would say that if they are going out anywhere, that this is probably as safe as an environment as they could find because they, they are well in space, they're outside and um, everything is being done to make certain they are protected. So what's your score prediction for this evening then? I never do score. If I ever predict we're going to win that disaster area, so I'll go with a 1-1 draw. Oh, I was going to push you there for a score so Forrest, do you win? Um, I mean, how, how do you think you'll feel then when, when the fans, when, when, the, when the players walk out for the first time? Uh, it's, it's emotional, hmm. yeah, seeing them coming out on the pitch. Um, yeah, it's something that's, you know, you begin to wonder whether you're going to get back there. It might sort of maudlin. You sit in the summer and you think, well, I'm in my 70s, you know. How long's this going to go on? This virus is going round. When am I going to be, when, or if I'm going to be back at Carrow Road? And to, to be back there means everything. Greg Pillinger, Head of Operations and Projects. Perfect, Greg. If you can just give me a very broad overview of what your day-to-day job role at the club is. Okay, so uh, as the head of operations and projects, um, various members of my teams underneath me, which include maintenance team, um, ground staff teams and cleaning teams to obviously the correct running of both the stadium and the training ground at Coney. Norwich has held uh, two matches now with fans in, one with a uh, test event in August and uh, one on Saturday. Um, today, tonight, I'm here tonight for your third game against the, the, the amazing Nottingham Forest and our Forest fan. What have you learned over those two past matches that, that is going to be implemented this evening? Um, I think the main thing we've learned is um, having 2,000 or 1,000 fans in is a lot more work than having 27,000 fans in. Is the main one we've learned. Purely down to the extra procedures and, and protocols you need in place to ensure that the stadium remains safe for the public to enter and to ensure that the public feels safe once they're in the stadium as well. Um, really, that started after um, relegation last year um, when we first got the sort of notion that the fans would be allowed back in but under very strict r- protocols. So the planning started for that way back in July and August and we didn't appreciate how much work was going to be involved but we were very thankful that we got the the pilot event back in September against Preston because that set a very good precedent for us to obviously reopen again uh, last weekend. Our safe capacity, safe distancing capacity for the stadium at the moment is just shot or just over 8,000, so about 28% of the capacity of Carrow Road. Whether we achieve that during this season, who knows, but I definitely think the 1,000 fans back in pre- against Preston in September and then the 2,000 on Saturday, and as you alluded to, the 2,000 again tonight will see us in very good stead to hopefully, if 
the government, the sporting authorities and the governing bodies allow us to, to start increasing that capacity if the greater you know, population and the greater good of the country is still you know, at a low ebb. But we don't know where we are with COVID at the moment. But safe to say Norwich City Football Club is in a good place and if we can get more fans in safely, then we're ready to go for it. Do you think having that test event with 1,000 fans in August kind of put you ahead of most other clubs? 100%. Yeah, um, I know when the call came, we was prepared for it. We, you know, we've been pushing it as a club and lobbying hard as a club that we wanted to be at the forefront of the fans returning. Um, the call coming very late from the Football League, um, not their fault, but DCMS at the government said, right, these pilot events, we're going to go for it because at the time it was hoping to be to progress to bigger and better things in October until we had that second lockdown. Um, but the club were ready to go. We got the call. I think it, I can't remember if it was the Tuesday lunchtime or the Wednesday lunchtime. We had sort of two or three hours notice to throw our hat into the ring to say Norwich are good to go. We would like to do that pilot event in three days' time on the Saturday. And yeah, that 100% that set us in good stead. You know, the little things that you can't think of that will happen on a day, you know, when you've got obviously the public involved. But yeah, that, that set us in good, good stead for last Saturday's 2000 event. What's been the main challenge for yourself then? Um, football's a passionate sport. It's very heavily involved with the spectator. You know how you know how you know how um, tribal it can be with football, and you know how passionate the fans are. Especially if some of them have not been to a football ground since February the twenty eighth was our last home game against Leicester in the Premier League. So when we had that pilot event in September, you know they'd missed the end of the, the culmination of the Premier League. They hadn't seen the club relegated, so it was still sort of good weather as well and I say weather but that was involved as well um, at the time we could still drink alcohol in the stadium or outside the stadium in the concourses and things and really just culminating all those all, all put into one pile and watching the fans come back they were so excited to be back and then you've got to try to somehow curb that excitement without them knowing it that you know we've still got to do safe distance and we've still got to do hands face space you've got to keep you know your distance from people who are not in your social or support bubble so trying to do that without curbing the fans enthusiasm for the game was very difficult but I think we we got a fine balance and I think we got it right both on the pilot event and on Saturday as well. So I know there's been a, a huge effort to make sure that the, the matches are open for everyone now because that includes disabled supporters. Definitely, yeah. How how much thought has gone into that then, making sure that when disabled supporters come, who might be more vulnerable than, than a non-disabled supporter, how much thought has gone into that? Has, has that been talking to your your disabled community who come to the football club? Yeah, so I understand Stephen spoke very heavily to them as we started to get... As we start getting further sort of advanced notices from the governing bodies that, yeah, we think we're going to get some fans in, we think we're going to be there at this date, start planning ahead. And luckily, um, we've got a very able assistant with our uh, Canaries Trust, Glenn Bates, who's very health and safety conscious. He does a lot of work for us free of charge, very heavily involved with the disabled community. He actually attended the Carrero two, three on or four occasions, giving us um, safe method statements, how... Not only one option of getting the disabled people in safe, but two or three options. So depending on which stand we used, depending on what capacity we had, you sort of threw these thoughts to us with obviously safe method of practices, how to get these fans in safely and obviously exiting safely as well. So it's been a, a massive team effort, you know, not only the operations department, but the ticket department, but also Canaries Trust and Stephen as well in his role as the disabled liaison officer. Stephen Graham. No, Stephen Graham, people, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so with that engagement then, is that... Uh, COVID has decimated a lot of things and it's been a horrible pandemic. 
But do you think you've learned from it? Like this, that this pandemic has allowed the club to kind of continue that engagement, probably improve the, the supporter engagement that might not have to happened if this didn't happen. Yeah, I don't think the club will ever take the fans for granted. But, you know, some fans haven't been back to football, as I say, since February 28th. And some fans still don't feel safe, you know, whether it's because they're shielding or not at the moment. So they may not even return this season. Um, but it has made us think, how how can we still engage with the fans, even though they're not coming to the games, especially the behind-closed-door games? So obviously, we've got the eye follow, which has been a tremendous um, asset for the club. But it's also just keeping these fans engaged, telling them where we are. So at each stage, as we got closer to supporters coming back, um, ideally at least a week before the game, wherever we could, we engaged with all the supporters group over teams, telling them that this is what we're doing, whether it's for the games or it's for season tickets, how we'd like the, the fans to engage with the club about their season tickets they're paid for, but they won't be able to use them this season. Rather than a normal, a non-COVID football season, we've had to really think outside the box to how to keep the fans on side with us because the football club's nothing without the fans. And obviously, we haven't had fans for so long now, but we still need those fans. It's integral to the football club. But And I think we noticed that on Saturday, I, I do question whether being 1-0 down without fans in the ground, whether we'd got those two goals back because yeah. they were so integral for that last 10 minutes of the fixture. So clubs who might be in Tier 3 now, who might hopefully be moving into Tier 2, what's the best advice you could give to them? Plan, plan, reread your plan, try to find flaws in your plan, keep the dialogue going when you're with your supporter groups. Um, so important, um, not only for your fan engagement, but also for your safety, because the supporters will think of something saying, Greg, how are you going to overcome this if this happens? You think, Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah, I didn't think of that one. Right, take that one away. So they will think of stuff that you haven't thought about, but um, they're so integral because when you get the fans back in, they're so integral to make it go right on the night. You can put all the plans, procedures, everything in place. You can brief and brief your stewards, brief and brief your staff, but the fans don't turn up and they don't know to keep social distance and they don't know to have uh, a face covering here. They don't know the stadium's now cashless, so they need debit cards and credit cards. They don't know the kiosks are not going to be open because the concourses have got to be socially distanced. So get a plan, brief out to your fans and see if they can pick a hole in it or just think, have you thought about this yet, Greg? Score prediction for tonight? 3-0. Two. <laughs> Two. Come on, do you need to ask? <laughs> no problem. Thank you very much. No worries, thank you. We've moved room now because we've been uh, kicked out of the nice warm room, and but now we've got a, a better view facing out to Cower Road. Uh, the pitch is... Looking beautifully green. In front of me is my, my next guest. If you could just, uh, just announce your name. Yeah, so uh, my name's Glenn Bate. Glenn, how does it feel to be back at Carra Road? I mean, we're looking out at the stadium now. I mean, how does that feel? Oh, just absolutely fantastic. It makes me quite emotional. How long have you been a fan then? Uh, 40 years I've been coming. Yep. Um, it's an absolutely fantastic club. Um, you know, to me, it always tries to do the right thing mm. um, you, you know not just on the football pitch I, th- I think you know in the wider supporters community as a disabled fan how, how, how we're treated by the club I think is just absolutely fantastic how, how we're supported and uh, for, for me personally when I had my stroke and um, the diagnosis of Cadisil you know you, you went to a sort of very low ebb and you find life as a disabled person, when you become disabled, gets very different in so many ways. But what you really want 
this life to, to return to some sort of normality and the way Norwich have treated me all along has just been absolutely fantastic um, you know the support I've had from the club has just been outstanding can I ask this is quite a personal question yep. Yep, so um, prior to coming to the games um, before the stroke and then coming to a mm-hmm. game the first game that you came to after your stroke mm-hmm. How difficult was that for you? It was very difficult um, because I, I, I think, you know, sort, sort of bearing in mind um, not, not only the stroke but the uh, diagnosis of cadisol, that means the small blood vessels in my brain are shrinking and dying and they can't reverse that process. So you felt very vulnerable. I felt quite unsteady as, as well. I had balance issues. Um, so I was very worried about coming um, and I thought what happens if I have a small stroke of TIA or something like that people most probably think I'm drunk what, what, what would actually happen I wasn't comfortable with being around a, a, a large group of people but the, one of the biggest issues um, when I first come back was the uh, running boards around the pitch mm-hmm. um, so they used to have like a running dog which used to run round on the lights if I looked at that my balance went immediately <laughs> yeah. um, and it took quite a while for that 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 to go but uh, bit by bit you, you know you sort of regain confidence um, some of those issues sort of disappear I, I mean as a younger fan I always wanted to be involved with Norwich City um, when um, the trust asked me to join their board so I'm a board member of the trust which gives me that opportunity um, to, to, to work with Norwich City to, to, to me it was like a dream come true um, I think the first meeting I come, come to at the club I was like a little boy in a sweet shop so fast forward, uh, I'm sure at no point did you think a global pandemic was going to stop no, going No, absolutely, absolutely not. Um, how, how have you kind of weighed up the, the fors and against about coming to a game this evening? Well, I, I, I think for, for, for me, because I'm obviously involved in health and safety, um, I always tend to do like a personal risk assessment of where I, I go. Um, We've worked on sort of project restart with the club. I think the club have put every conceivable measure in, and I think you know there's to be applauded for that. I I, I think personally, I, I I don't feel at risk here, and I think I think also it's really important for someone who's got a diagnosis like mine. Um, I don't want to miss that opportunity of sort of coming back, because sort of going forward, I might not be here. That they can't give me any expectation on my life expectancy, although obviously it's not very good. Um, so basically, if I don't do it now, I might not be doing it next week. So it's really important for me to come while I'm still in a position I can come. So how much does a match day play into your week? Pre-COVID, obviously. Uh, pre- 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 well, I'm thinking about it nearly all week, really. So um, I tend to <laughs> look at the league table and work out during the week <laughs> potentially where we can, 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 can be. In fact, I still do that now. In fact, I was doing it last, <laughs> last <laughs> night. And um, it's just I, that's, that sense of belonging 
for something yeah. um, which is really important so it, it sounds like the club is, is a huge part of your life then yeah. how difficult was it then to be told you can't go and enjoy the thing that is such a huge part of your life oh that, that disaster really um, I, I mean again you've got to put that in scale with you know with, with everything else um, I sort of work part time um, I had my week quite nicely organised days I was you know going to work as a safety consultant match days suddenly that's gone that whole part has gone and um, I, I don't think you know that puts you in a very good place mentally um, and Saturdays with no football I found quite quite difficult because if it's a home game I'm here it's an away game I always listen to it on the radio um, if we lose <laughs> <laughs> my wife will tell you I'm in the bed Saturday <laughs> evening <laughs> Um, if we win, um, I'm in a much better place. <laughs> and I, I think that's like that for most football fans. So how do you think you'll feel at 7.45 when the players come out of that I tunnel? Think quite, I think I'll have a bit of a lump in my throat, to be totally totally honest. I, 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 I think it'd just be absolutely fantastic to see the guys on the pitch. Um, yeah, and sing on the ball city. Um, I won't sing it for you now. <laughs> I've got a terrible voice. Don't worry. Right, I'll try and record it when everyone else is singing. You know, and I'll yeah, just, I'll yeah. just, it, I just it, know it, you're yes. there. Yeah, because the, the whole crowd sings that song yeah. to, to, together. Um, it's unique to Norwich City. You know, most of my matches, I'm, I'm here in the Ability Counts Gallery. It's a fantastic little community. Yeah, we all know each other by name. We all talk. Um, I've really missed those people that's it for this month's episode thank you to the SGSA and Rick Riding for giving up your time to talk to me links for their work is in the programme description of this podcast a big thank you to Norwich City Football Club Greg Pillinger and Stephen Graham as well as Glenn and Judy the Norwich City supporters if you've been fortunate enough to have attended a live game then please do go to the Level Playing Field website and let us know you can click on the have your say button at the top of the page or just click the link in the episode description of this podcast if you have enjoyed this episode or episode one please go rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcast page as well as spread the podcast to your friends via social media and word of mouth we will be back in the new year but from everyone at level playing field we want to wish you a very happy christmas and a wonderful new year we will see you in 2021 bye-bye